On this week's show, I'm delighted to be joined by Wade Gilbert. Wade is a professor of kinesiology in Fresno State, California, has a vast amount of coaching experience in a multitude of sports, and we're delighted to get him on as we're big fans of his book on the show. Throughout the episode, Wade talks about coaches embracing learning, he advises coaches not to limit themselves and to connect with other sports, and he speaks about coaches having the courage to try something new. Hugely informative show, cannot recommend listening to this one enough. I hope you enjoy. Okay, delighted to be joined today by Wade Gilbert. So Wade is something of a, a legend in coaching circles and we're delighted to, to have him on. A professor of kinesiology in California State over on the west coast of America. Wade has worked with multiple organizations in sport and near who's who in sporting organizations, too multiple to mention right now. And he has written a book, a fantastic book called Coaching Better Every Season. And I'd like to jump in there, Wade, if that's okay. I think it's really good and it's a great resource for any coach. I'm may- wondering maybe if you could jump in and talk about maybe the philosophy behind why it was written and the frameworks that, that you outlined within the book. Yeah, definitely. Thank you for having me on the show and uh, really uh, excited to be a part of this experience and, and the good work that you're doing. And, and thank you for putting this all together and, and helping coaches uh, connect and learn. So yeah, with the book, um, I've been involved in athletics my whole life. I'm turning 50 this summer and I've been very fortunate to have connected with lots of of different coaches across different sports and different levels and all over the world. And uh, a few years back, um, a publisher asked me if I'd be interested in writing a book uh, about those, what I've learned. And I've always been fascinated by uh, teaching and learning um, and leading and in sport so it was a good fit and I've always you know my career has been kind of in that gap I like to call it I think of the book as a gap book like it's when you think of what we have for coaches in terms of resources or books um, generally you would have you'd have two ends of a continuum you'd have either academic books um, sports science books textbooks and then the other end you'd have biographies and autobiographies and I, I never really found anything that was in the middle of those two. And, they're, and both those worlds uh, seldom overlap, um, at least historically, but they both have so much to offer and so much to share and so much that we can learn um, from those sources. So that was my attempt to, to make it kind of a gap book, work in that gap between theory and practice or science and practice. And, and so it took three years to write. And it's funny, I remember sitting around uh, in my backyard with a buddy after I signed the, the contract to write the book. And he said, oh, it should only take you a few months, right? You've been doing this for like, at that point, <laughs> over 20 years. You know, you know what you're doing, right? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I got four or five months here. I, I think I'll be good. Well, three years later, I was, still wasn't done. And the editor said, enough, enough. You got to finish this thing. And what you learn is, and what I found is, the, the more you dig into things and the more you think you know something and you, you research about it, the more you realize how much you don't know. <laughs> and, and I found that with, you know, that's the quality of all the great coaches, whether it's someone coaching six-year-olds or coaching a professional or a national team, the, the best ones just love to learn. And they're very humble. You know, I remember actually having a conversation with Steve Hansen, the All Blacks coach years ago in New Zealand. And, um, and same thing with whether it's Eddie Jones or whoever, like they, 
they just want to learn and they're they they're humble enough to realize that i can learn from anyone uh it doesn't matter title or position uh everyone i interact with is an opportunity my athletes people in my community uh are, are opportunities to learn so to be honest with you, I, I was quite happy with the way the book came out, but I've also, <laughs> the more I learn, the less confident I've become in what I think I know. Um, and, and so it's a very humbling experience to do something like that. So the way we organized the book was um, I wanted to make sure there was science behind it. I didn't want it to just be an opinion book, Wade's opinion on coaching. Hmm. Uh, I wanted to make sure it was connected to what we know about but the science, not just of coaching, but of teaching, of leading coaches, all, all different sports, including coaches I've worked with and then coaches that I've never met, but I've read about. And um, so then we decided to organize the book um, into moments, which I think is a, a little different from other books I've seen. Um, so thinking about the typical moments that most coaches around the world would, would experience, I know it's a little bit different in the GA. I learned when I was over there a few years back, but um, generally, you know, you have a team that comes together and there's a beginning to a season or a cycle. Uh, you go through that season and there's an ending to that season, playoffs, championships, finals, whatever. And then there's a bit of a pause typically, and then you start over. And so all coaches have to navigate those moments. So what do we know about how, to best navigate those moments. So that's how the book was organized by moments, by coaching moments. Yeah, and I, as I said already, I think it's a really, really useful resource for people because that link that you bring, I suppose, from the sort of the, maybe the research or the science stuff to the practical elements, I think that's what people can really relate to. And I think maybe that's sometimes where uh, researchers fall down in terms of that, that the practical element of, of what they're doing. Yeah, you have to understand. I, I mean, I grew up in both worlds and very fortunate to, to connect with uh, people who kind of kept me grounded. Um, but when you're working in, in research, your, you, your job depends on research grants and publishing in scientific journals, not connecting with coaches or practitioners and, 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 and making sense of the science for them. So it's kind of the environment dictates the behavior. Um, and so you kind of get into that trap a little bit of, uh, well, not, I wouldn't say a trap. That's what you need to do to keep your job. So that's what, where you kind of focus your energy. But I have noticed um, a, a movement quite a bit, I'd say in the last 10 years, where there's a lot, of, a lot more collaboration and crossover between universities and sport organizations. Um, and, and you see sports scientists and coach more embedded with uh, sport organizations. Um, so there, there seems to be a better collaboration at the moment. Yeah, and I think that's only a good thing in terms of, of uh, opening it out and, and making it more accessible to people. You talked about um, you seeing these similarities across these top coaches or elite coaches. So you mentioned that they're always open to learning and they're always trying to learn more or learn from each other. Is there any other similarities that you, you've noticed over the years that, that you might be able to share with us? Yeah, for sure. Um, very self-reflective. Like they, they, they make time 
because you, you know when we talk about reflection as a coach uh what is reflection you know reflection is thinking about your coaching and anybody who coaches would say well i'm always thinking about my coaching <laughs> so when i'm with my family when i'm at home when i'm in the car uh it kind of consumes you um but it's it's more than just thinking about your coaching they they set aside time to try and act on what they're thinking so they're they're willing to experiment it's it's this kind of a willingness to risk um a risk tolerance maybe you could say and the only you know all coaches have ideas we all have ideas about how to run a drill or how to do a certain lineup or you know a team building activity whatever it might be but um, we often stop ourselves because we, we don't know if it'll work. So, ah, I don't know, and it might look silly, and what will people think? But the really great coaches are the ones who say, well, let's try it. The only way we'll know if this works is to try it. So having the, the courage to act on your reflections and experiment, and good coaches surround themselves with a learning network so they can do what I would call virtual experiments. So whether that's a group of buddies that you have or a coaching staff or people you get together with for, for drinks or coffee or whatnot, um, where you can get together and, and share ideas and say, hey, Stephen, I got this idea. I was thinking about this idea for a drill we're going to do. I'd like to try. What do you think? So, so you test it out with your peers and then uh, it always and then you go out so it's like a, a test before the test you get feedback on your experiment before you go and actually run it and when i was in um new zealand uh speaking with their sport leaders over there we i don't know if they ever ended up doing it but we talked about the idea of um in youth sport uh, amateur sport um having a little bit of money set aside so that um coaches could go for coffee together <laughs> and actually have a shared practice once a month. So we think about this. I don't know how, if this happens in Ireland, um, but I haven't seen it happen here very often. You know, when we coach kids, for example, do we ever have shared practices? So two, three teams on the same pitch practicing together, not just beside each other, but together. So it's one practice. And the coaches from all those teams um, are running drills together. They might, they ideally would meet before to plan out, okay, here's a station I'd like to run. Here's a drill I'd like to run. How does that fit with what you normally do? And then after the practice, stick around or go for a drink or coffee and, and debrief it. Say, hey, what'd you think of the way we did this? And, and, and that way it's, it's really, because coaching is very isolating um, at all levels. It's a very, you're around people all the time, but you're alone. You're supposed to be the one in charge. You're supposed to know everything, do everything. And, and that's not realistic. Uh, you need to, to work as a team. So I, I've always pushed, well, not always, I've, as I've learned in the last few years, I've really pushed sport organizations and coaches to look at how they spend their time and try and make some of that time more collaborative.
And do you, so like you mentioned about Ireland, I think we're getting better at it in Ireland. That's in, there's a lot more sharing going on. And certainly that's exactly what we're trying to do in, in, in this podcast is getting people to share and not give away any secrets, but just give maybe the benefit of their experience. Um, but I think we're getting better, but we're not quite there yet. But do you ever get challenges to that? Like, do people like push back and say, well, I, I actually, I don't want to share with these people or I don't want to share with others that I'm trying to keep my own stuff to myself? Yeah, and the it's a, a trend I see everywhere. The ones who don't want to share are typically the ones who don't are either the least experienced least successful or um most afraid in a sense of of let go of control and power and don't necessarily or haven't come to a place yet where they truly realize their purpose like why why do we have coaches it's not it's not selfish activity it's not to to meet my needs and it's not to um it's it's really more about serving others so why wouldn't i want to learn everything i can to best serve these kids or these athletes these people i'm working with and you'd be shocked i think i think a lot of people listening might be shocked at how much elite level coaches share they share everything and we're talking millions, hundreds of millions of dollars on the line for championships. And, and they meet and talk all the time and share strategies and drills and techniques and tactics and plays. And like you use the word secret. There is no secret. In the highest levels of sport, there's no secret. All those coaches have played together, coached together, been on staffs together. They so there's like the competitive advantage is learning it's not techniques and tactics or drills because i could google all that stuff i could i could look all that stuff up everything is out there it's not like there's some genius out there who knows more than everybody else and um there everyone is on the same has the potential to be on the same playing field um so the the teams and groups and coaches that are most successful are the ones that that really embrace learning and and freely give away their knowledge if a coach calls them up and says hey i got a question about that play you ran last year that strategy sure let's go let's talk about it because when i talk about it i learn more and guess what i'm evolving i've already moved on it's so in a sense it's a bit of old news and i remember um going back to the all blacks again um they, there's a book many of your readers might be familiar with called uh, Legacy. And it's, it's a very popular book uh, written by a journalist. And he was embedded with the All Blacks uh, originally just for, it was supposed to be for a short period of time, a week or two weeks maybe. And um, then he requested to stay longer. And I asked the, Steve Hansen, about it. I said, you know, I just read this book. It just ha- happened to come out before I was over there, and I, but it wasn't written by anyone in the All Blacks organization. And I said, how, you know, so how accurate is all this stuff in here? And he said, yeah, it's really accurate, but they didn't tell us they were going to write a book. They just, like, we have reporters coming in all the time. Next thing we know, our whole process is out there for the world to see in a book. 
they said at first we were, you know, rightly so disappointed, but we've moved on. Part of their their culture is constant evolution. And and you can't replicate what they do. Because you have to good coaches take ideas from other coaches and freely share theirs. But then there's the artistry, you know, that it's like the art and the science. So I can tell you about a drill I run or or a team building activity I do, but it's not a recipe book. So you're not baking a cake. You you have to then adapt it to your context, to your athletes, to your community, to your values. Um, so they it's this idea of you may have heard the term best practices, and they push in the literature. You know what are best practices, and I always encourage people now. I say get that term out of your vocabulary. You want to think about best principles. So what are the principles behind the practice? Why does that work for uh, Irish rugby or Ulster or uh, All Blacks or whoever? Like, why does that strategy that they work, they use work for them? What's the principle behind that? Oh, the principle is, you know, deep connection with your athletes and building trust. That's really what's happening with that activity they're doing. So how can I use that, adapt that to build trust and connection with my team and my athletes and our culture and our values? So to me, that's, um, that's something I've, I've really seen more and more because you're, you know, I coach too and, and I still see it. There's, there still is quite a big disconnect um, from what we know and what we see in everyday practice. Uh, there are a lot of coaches who feel like, why would I ever have a shared practice with somebody I'm going to be playing on Saturday? You know, I, that's, you know, we even have closed practices, you know, no one don't want anyone to see what we're doing. Like, come on, get over yourself. There's, we all, we, we can, everything is open. You can, and we should be learning and sharing. That's what the best do. Yeah, it's a striking parallel. I remember seeing uh, Stuart Lancaster give a talk. I can't think of what it was at now, but um, someone asked a question afterwards because he, he was so open and someone asked a question afterwards, literally saying, how come you're sharing everything, you know? And he just laughed and he said, but look, uh, if I, by, by the very act of me sharing, uh, one, I'm helping and I feel like I'm helping others, but two, it forces me to evolve. It forces me to get better. Um, and I just thought it was a really, really nice way of summing it up. Um, that and it was sort of a, a, re a really good justification. Um, you speak of constant evolution. You've obviously been a, a, a involved in, in this for a long time a, in both the research and the practitioner side. You've talked to a lot of people and you've seen probably an awful lot of things that you can't even describe on, on, on this. But in terms of a coach listening and, and they want to evolve themselves, what 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 do you t what would your biggest recommendations to be like how how is there a a a perfect roadmap to follow to become to become a, as best of a coach that they can be connect with coaches outside of your sport don't get stuck in your own lane so to speak think like um like a a roadway or a highway you know and if you stay in in one lane the whole time or even on the same road, right? Yeah. Other roads, try other roads. So if, if you're a GAA coach, go and watch uh, a rugby practice or a netball practice, you know, say, well, or water polo or swimming or cycling. What's that have to do with hurling? 
But it's, it's people. You coach people, not a sport. First and foremost, you coach people, not a sport. And you coach people who happen to play a sport, right? But you're coaching people. So any opportunity you can make to go and watch how other coaches coach people will help you get better. And in fact, um, it's, it's both. You, you want to spend time learning from observing coaches in your own sport, but you also, the best, make time to go and learn from coaches in other sports. And this is what I've seen at the highest. I mean, this is regular practice for the best coaches in the world now. In their off seasons, they go, you know, English Premier League coaches will go and uh, connect with rugby coaches and cricket coaches and football coaches, American football coaches in the U.S. And, and you say, well, what does that have to do with, you know, with soccer or football? Well, it's people. They're looking at how they run team meetings. They're looking at how they organize practices. They're looking at how they select team leaders and captains. And because it's a, you're in the people business. And when you get outside of your own lane, get outside of your own sport, you become a learner. You, you kind of revert to novice. So we take a lot of things for granted. We're wired for physiologically, emotionally, you know, we're wired for stable states and uh, homeostasis is the term we use in, in physiology. And we seek out stability because we're designed to conserve energy. That's through evolution, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anything that requires energy is uncomfortable. It's, it's abnormal in a sense. We're not wired to, to expend, want to expend more energy. So when you get out of your comfort zone and you go watch a netball practice, you're going to see all kinds of things that you would take for granted, not even really notice if you're watching another hurling practice, for example. So, and have, have those, have um, a coach from another sport come and watch one of your practices and then go for a drink after and say, hey, so what'd you see? And you'll be shocked. They'll have all kinds of questions about things you just take for granted. Hey, why'd you start practice that way? I noticed you just jumped into this drill. You know, why, why'd you do it that way? And I noticed you don't have, you know, any break between drills. You know, in our sport, we do it this way. So it just leads to all these really rich conversations about, leading people and teaching and learning like common common um things that we share in common across sports so and i agree with everything you're saying um but everything you're talking about it seems to be it, it's very informal it's it's uh i suppose it's um through conversations through relationships through communication what about the more formal coach development pathways is it, it is the value there or are they a little bit behind where they should be or or what's your experience well, I see the formal coach education, whether it's certifications or courses, uh, credentials, things like that, that, that's a baseline, right? So when you think about it, it's hard for you to reflect on things if you have no foundation of awareness, yeah. in a sense. So to me, that those are, it's like the, the framework for a house. You know the the foundation, the cement, the the joists, the the components of a house, and then with the informal stuff like you're talking about, that's that's how you customize your house, right? Yeah. Uh, and so they go hand in hand. 
Okay. So what the, the advice to people maybe at the early stage of their, their coaching career or whatever would be get that the formal stuff in to get that baseline to give you the basics but then in terms of developing it's all about pushing the boundaries trying to get outside your comfort zone and, and communicating and asking for help when needed oh yeah definitely and in fact i i guess maybe i'd even back it up and say those those are kind of concurrent or parallel um pathways so it's not necessarily um do a bunch of credentials and then go talk to people and observe people like you ideally you're doing both of those at the same time okay and again i and i don't want to stick on this for too much longer but I, i'm just curious in terms of the coach development pathways and, and i suppose again i'm talking maybe more the formal route have you seen many much changes in those over the years or, or is there trends and, and maybe where are they going in the future for us yeah, in fact, I have a call tomorrow with some people in Belgium, and I had one yesterday with uh, Olympic people here in the U.S., and there's a lot of uh, conversations right now around the world on um, shifting. In fact, the FAI just contacted me, too. They've made supposedly quite a, a few uh, changes to the way they're doing their coach education, um, and the term that comes to mind is learner-centered, so there is a recognition that we need our coach education courses to be more um, contextualized, more learner-centered. So it's, it's more about, um, it, it's less about filling their heads with information that they might need at some point and more about um, helping them learn how to learn and, and showing them where they can get information and resources and, and how to connect with other people. So there, there's, a, I've seen that at the moment, um, you know, instead of like a, a traditional course, you go and you sit and then you listen to someone lecture for six hours or you sit in a classroom, you know, maybe we 20 minutes of sharing a few principles or ideas. And then we go outside and we run a drill together. We design a drill together and, and try stuff together. And then we come back in the classroom and we debrief it. So, a little bit more uh of that approach okay um I, I i just want to touch on a couple of things that you mentioned if that's okay because um you talk about self being self-reflective or a reflective coach as being a trait of the top guys reflection is a is a is a big topic to, uh, on this show it, it comes up nearly with everyone we talk to in various formats um based on your experience and and ta you're talking with different people from around the world have you got um simple practical ways that people could potentially use that reflective practice themselves uh, and i know you mentioned about talking to others and stuff like that but maybe for people listening that they could implement themselves very simply in, in their own coaching yeah um definitely i like to now break uh reflection into two parts preflection and reflection so the preflection would be before you go out to coach make a, a list of things that you really want to pay attention to today so what do i really want to look for today and what and also like practice objectives right or object and it could even for a match or a game what do i really want the two or three things i really want to pay attention to today really notice 
And then the reflection part is uh, shortly after the practice or the, the match, um, looking back at what you wrote before, um, what did you learn? So what do I, in a sense, what do I want to learn and what did I learn? And making that a regular part of your practice, uh, your practice as a coach, so that you're constantly taking ownership of your learning. You're not just, it's not accidental learning and you kind of stumble across things like, well, that was neat, you know, kind of driving home from a practice. I was in, I didn't expect that. That was interesting. Um, really um, keeping a, a coaching journal in a sense. Um, we use little reflection cards with a lot of our coaches here. Um, but the, the principle is the same. It's not the practice, right? But the idea of having, writing some things down before and after each practice or match so that you're constantly stimulating um, kind of inner dialogue, right? So, and capturing it. It's not just um, thoughts in your head. You're actually writing some of these. I, I really like that. Um, I'll be, uh, I think pre-flexion could be, could be uh, used a lot now. Um, that, so are you basically talking about documenting your intentions for that let's say for that practice session or for that training session before you go out and then very simply then seeing well how did i do on that or how did i do on this oh maybe that was okay but that's something that i need to work on for the next time yeah and even thinking in terms of winning so we all know like you walk away from a match you know if you won we have a scoreboard we have statistics but how do you know if you want to practice I always ask coaches, did you, did you win practice today? What do you mean? We didn't play anybody. We were just practicing. Yeah, I know. But did you win practice? So like, how will you know if you won? Otherwise, you're just putting in time. You're just acting. <laughs> it's not achievement. Uh, John Wooden, uh, UCLA coach, one of the voted coaches of the 20th century, he used to like to say, you know, never mistake activity for achievement. So yeah, we practiced 10 hours this week. Great. Did you win? What do you mean? Well, yeah, you put in 10 hours. Did you get any better? So what are those indicators that I won practice today? So you do that in advance. I'll know if we won practice today if I have, you know, maximum participation. We get through all the drills I have scheduled. Um, there's no... <laughs> No kids are fighting with each other. I don't have to yell at kids to put the balls down and pay attention. You know, just what, what are the things in your sport that would be indicators? Like if these things happen, we won today. And then you reflect after, well, did we win? And so you treat a practice like a game in a sense. You wouldn't play a game without a scoreboard. And then someone asks you after, hey, how'd the game go? Did you win? Well, I don't know. Nobody knows. We just played. <laughs> okay well that's fine too if the purpose is to just have a play date but we always have scoreboards for games why don't what's your scoreboard for your practice yeah i think that's 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 really such a, a small thing but such a useful thing to be able to see if you achieve the goals that you were setting out and i think i think even the the simple act of writing down your intentions for the training session or, or for practice uh I think that's massively useful and that could be powerful in terms of focusing yourself and what you're trying to do. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, you mentioned John Wooden there. I, I, I have him down in my notes. Uh, John, I'd be, 
a massive massive fan of, of his work um like his i suppose the pyramid of success is 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 really really well known um you would have done a bit of work with john over the years in terms of um i suppose looking at what how he coached and what he did uh, would you have said you'd learned a huge amount yeah he's definitely one of the most influential people maybe the most in in my career and my philosophy my way of viewing uh teaching and learning and connecting with people because he he always referred to himself as a teacher uh even you know like in interviews uh he would refer to himself as a teacher and he'd say you know when i when i taught at, at basketball at ucla or when i taught uh, in college they said oh did you teach classes too while you were coaching there i said no no i my classroom was a basketball court i was a teacher i, I taught basketball so he he always viewed coaching as teaching and and if you look up the meaning of the word and the origin of the word coach and coaching it's teaching it's all about teaching so it definitely has had a huge influence on the way i i think about um how we go about our work yeah i don't i don't think you're alone in that i, I think that's a uh i'd say there'd be a lot of people around the world in the same um looking at what he's put out there um you mentioned earlier that coaching can be isolating and it's something uh, I, I thought of before in terms of it's nearly like some would have a, an, an imposter syndrome type of a thing in terms of that they may feel like that they're very much isolated, but they may feel, geez, I don't know if I'm good enough to be coaching this group or this team. Uh, two sort of things on that. One, is that something that you think is prevalent a lot or is it a case that maybe people, when they're in the beginning, they don't realize what they don't know? I hope that question makes sense. Yeah, in fact, we have a term for that, um, serial insecurity. <laughs> okay. There was um, a really neat study done a few years ago with the best coaches in the world. It was actually called the Serial Winning Coaches Study um, all across all different sports, all aspects. Uh, coaches the best of the best of the best and one of the main findings was this serial insecurity <laughs> so they're the best they win more than anybody else but they're also the most insecure they're always questioning themselves they're almost well in some cases to the point where it's um really physically unhealthy you know and they they get sick because they can't enjoy the moment no matter how much they win they're still um their biggest critic i could have done this better i should have done more of that or they can't really enjoy the moment um and there, there definitely is a personality component to that but yes the 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 best coaches and i think what i've seen coaches who stick around long enough so the more you coach the more you realize how much you don't know so you you kind of uh become more self-aware and more humbled uh, the longer you do this and and so yeah that's something i see all over the world and is is that sort of feed into it though if they if they realize that, that the better they get and the more they realize they don't know does that feed that's insecurity then that they can't that, that they never feel that they're good enough oh yeah and that's a driver you know that that's a motivator though so if you let that um defeat you or road confidence then you you won't stay in the game 
you won't last. Players will see that too. Um, and they won't have faith in you or trust in you. So uh, great coaches use that as a motivation to constantly stretch themselves and, and keep pushing to get better. Well, I think that's going to be really interesting for some people to hear that because I suppose the persona, the public persona that a lot of coaches would give out outwardly to the public would be one of very confident or, or very self-assured. I think it's really interesting to hear that they may be dealing with the same insecurities as others will be just going through everyday life. Oh, yeah. I've, I've been very fortunate to have some very neat, <laughs> interesting interactions you know private lunches and private meetings with a lot of people you'd see on tv and read about in the news and they have the same their <laughs> same fears same doubts same insecurities uh constantly um questioning things uh but what you do see you're right it is a bit of a show a bit of an act so when they are in front of cameras when they are in front of the uh, public settings um they do, they understand that and they understand that it is a bit of a show. So it's a performance. You know, those coaches at the highest levels, they understand that when they're in front of the public, it's a performance. They're performing too. It's not just their athletes who are performing, they're performing. So when I meet with people like that, we often talk about how do you get ready to perform? So you wouldn't let athletes run out into a match at the highest level without a physical warm-up and a mental warm-up. So what's your warm-up? How, how do you get ready to, to perform today? You know, what's your pre-game warm-up? And, and so they, they understand that. But then behind closed doors and, and with their teams, um, you know, they can kind of be themselves a lot more. Yeah, I think that's, that's going to be really interesting for people to hear because without getting behind that curtain, I suppose, you, you don't get to see that and you certainly don't hear about it. Um, so it's, it's interesting. You might, you might uh, hear about it in the odd autobiography or something like that that people felt a little uncertain at the time. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. Wade, you've been fantastic with your time. We have three questions that we ask everybody uh, towards the end of the podcast. And you may have, like, you probably covered some stuff in this already, but that's absolutely fine in, in terms of a summary. Um, so first one is, what does the term successful coach mean to you? Well, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, for me, coaching is, is teaching. This is what we've learned from our great coaches. Think like a teacher. So one of my favorite um, sayings, which is also the title of one of my favorite books, is you haven't taught until they've learned. And it's, it gets to the heart of this idea that it's on you to figure out how to connect with them and how to teach them. And so there is a tendency I've seen with a lot of coaches when athletes struggle with something or they, they can't do it properly, they put the blame on the athlete. Ah, kids today, they don't pay attention. Ah, kids, they just, we've gone over three times or 10 times and they still don't get it. Ah, these kids, this is the worst team I've ever coached. They just, versus <laughs> reframing it and well, they're not getting it because I haven't taught it well. Like, so it's on me. It's, it's like I heard a coach one time say, you know, point, point the thumb, not the finger. So, you know, you're pointing your finger. Those kids, they don't get it. That kid never listens. 
point the thumb. So same hand, you're pointing your finger at somebody, put your thumb up, your finger down, your thumb up and point it back at you. It's on me. I have, the reason they're not paying attention is because I, I designed a drill that's boring and they're off task. And, they, and So design, change the drill, make it more engaging, get more people in, involved, get feedback from them. So make it more about trying to figure out um, what, you know, what motivates them. A little activity I do with all my classes that I picked up from an article one time is called the one thing. Uh, the one, and, and I have in my, my classes and even in my teams, I'll ask them to take out a sheet of paper or give them a little sheet of paper and say, write down one thing you wish your coach knew about you. And it's amazing what people write on there. I wish my, or my teacher, you know, I wish my, my coach knew that, you know, my grandma's really sick and my mom has gone a lot to visit. So, and my dad works a lot. So oftentimes I have to make dinner for my brothers and sisters, you know, just stuff that you would have no idea. And meanwhile, you're yelling at this kid because you think they're lazy and not paying attention. They got all kinds of stuff going on in their life that you're not aware of. So uh, learning how to connect, because uh, again, remember you're coaching people first. So yeah. the more you can learn about your people and how to connect with them, um, the better coach you'll be. Yeah, I, I think that's a really, really good point. Um, the, the, that, that personal connection and, and not just knowing them through the, through the, the lens of, the, of what you see them do on the field is, is, is priceless because that's the, that connection, that, you, that human connection that you talk about. And I absolutely and coaching. Sorry, go ahead. I absolutely love the point the Tom reference. That's uh, that's it's, it's another classic now that that'll be uh, that'll be used a lot over this side of the water now. Well, I can't take credit for it. I mean, any good idea is likely from somewhere else and someone else. You know, you reflect on these things and you put them in your own own words, but they're they're all influenced from other other conversations and other people, but. Uh, to get to the simple answer for successful coaching, um, for most people, it would be, do they, do they come back? Like, do the kids come back? So do they come back? Do they continue to play? Do they come back next season, next year? Um, that, that's a good coach. Your job is to, to teach them, to keep them engaged. You know, we think our job is to win a trophy or a championship. That's not your job. Um, you could do everything right, especially when you're dealing with kids, right? Uh, you could be phenomenal, but the team you're playing has bigger kids. <laughs> well, they're going to beat you yeah. nine times out of ten. What, what can I say? You're not a bad coach. So especially when we're coaching youth, I mean, yes, winning is important. We want to strive to win. Winning matters. But that shouldn't be the only metric we use to determine if you were a successful coach. You could be an awful coach and you happen to live in a community where there's some stud kids, great, you know, great brothers who happen to come along and makes you look like you're a great coach because you won a bunch of matches. It's, you know, what kind of experience are those kids having? Are they coming back year after year after year? You know, are they, they staying involved? Cause that, that's the greatest measure to me. If they're coming back, um, chances are they're having a good experience and they're getting better best book resources that you'd recommend to those listening um and obviously we'll, uh, we 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 we're big fans of your own book on this uh wade so uh, that that's uh, you you're allowed to say that if you wish 
That book is the greatest book ever written. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I did enjoy, I learned a lot writing that book and, um, but it's always incomplete. And if people find value in it, that's really reassuring. Um, The one book that comes to mind, I mentioned it um, earlier is You Haven't Taught Until They've Learned. And it's a book written by, co-written, it's about John Wooden's teach of the coaching approach. And it's co-written by Swen Nader, N-A-T-E-R, and Ron Gallimore, G-A-L-L-I-M-O-R-E. And what makes it unique and special is Swen played uh, basketball for Coach Wooden at UCLA. He won two national championships with him there, and he went on to play 10 years in the NBA, still holds records in the NBA. Um, So he he talks about what it felt like and looked like from a a player's vantage point. So what it was like to be coached by this person and go through the practices, what they felt like. Um, And then Ron Gallimore is a retired, uh, one of the world's, top uh social psychologist he is a retired scientist and but he did the very first study on coach wooden in 1974 and so you have in this book a a player saying okay here's what we did in practice and how it felt as a player and why i think it worked for me as a player and then in the same chapter you have the scientist saying okay Here's what we'd call that in research and what we know about good teaching and learning and, and why that probably worked. And so it's really neat combination of practice and science. And it's a, it's a fun read. It's, it's not a book. Um, and I'd say any sport that you're coaching, you'd pick up something out of that book. Yeah, it's, it sounds really good. I haven't read it myself, but it's definitely gone on my list. And we will post up the, the links to any of them that you mentioned today as, as well. Um, Last one, what are your top tips for developing coaches? And I know we've gone through maybe a lot of this stuff already, but it's no harm for uh, for people to get some clarity maybe. Yeah, make learning a habit, like deliberate. So uh, be deliberate in your learning. So make a plan, make a learning plan um, and, and focus on small, regular learning. <laughs> So what I've learned more and more is that, you know, like a book, I always joke coaches are great book starters, not book finishers. Lots of books sitting on their, on their desks and their shelves that they started, but they seldom finish any. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I started that one, then I got busy and something happened. So just, uh, there's a quote that comes to mind. I think it was Bill Gates, uh, the Microsoft CEO, you know, one founder one time said, people, People always overestimate what they can achieve in one year and underestimate what they can achieve in 10. And we have a tendency to get stuck in the moment and, and say, oh, that, like you look at a book, for example, ah, oh, that's, I don't have time to read that 300 pages. I'll never get through that. Versus, you know what? I'm going to set aside 15 minutes each day and it's going to be the first 15 minutes of the day. You know, be selfish. Another thing I like to sh- I've learned too is 
you know, people who are successful often start their day on offense. And what that means is they do something for themselves first. So often what I do, I like to get up early um, and I'll, I always have a book on the go and I'll set my, I'll get my tea or my coffee, tea for me, not coffee, but I'll get a drink and I'll have, I'll set my timer to 15 or 20 minutes, sometimes half an hour if I, if it's a bit of a more flexible day and, and I'll read and it could be listening to a podcast. It doesn't have to be reading a book, right? Or an article. And I won't finish it, so I'm not sitting there until I finish it. I don't have time for that. Most people don't, but I can do 15, 20 minutes. And guess what? That article over three days, I finished, or that book over two weeks, I finished. So, and then, so it's it's incremental and it's long term, um, but it's regular. That's the key. And and sometimes we fall into that trap too. Like, yeah, yeah, when I get a break. You know, I got two weeks in the summer, I'll, I'll catch up on all this stuff. No, you won't, because something else will come up. So just make it regular, small and regular. I think that's a, that's a really good tip and really practical tip for anyone to take away. Um, listen, Wade, I can't thank you enough. Um, for people who want to find out more about you or, or, or to, to get the book, where can we point them anywhere in particular? Yeah, uh, any any major bookseller uh, online, you'd be able to find it, um, or you could go to the directly to the publisher, which is Human Kinetics. Okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, well, we'll put some links up to that. Um, listen, it's been fantastic having you on. Um, so much learning in it. I, I could stay chatting here for hours. Um, I love the fact uh, the preflection idea. I really, really like that. Um, that's something I'm going to start trying to do myself. Uh, I love the advice to to go out and connect with other sports. The point the thumb again. Absolutely love that one. Um, the embracing the learning and, and the emphasis on, on how many of the top coaches really, really do embrace that. And I suppose the big one for me that I've really taken out of this today is to have the courage to try to just don't be afraid to, to give something a go or to ask the question. And I think any coach listening, if they're able to take that, that, that with them and, and had a little bit of more courage or bravery to, to try new things, I think that could help them an awful lot. Thank you for listening to the show. We hope you can take something from it that will help with your own coaching journey. As always, you can listen or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and SoundCloud. And you can find us on all social media channels at Bubble Coaching on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Please get in touch because we would love to hear from you. The show was produced by Niall Williams and brought to you by the Coach Education Department of the Camogie Association. Thanks again for listening. Till next time.